He likes kente. I prefer kitenge. He dances to the tumba. I swing to the zeze. We both agree for your case by Tenny is our favorite African song of the moment. He does the zanku. I do the tetema. He loves the belly of the beast, Lagos City. I live in the haven of peace, Dar es Salaam. He grew up in LA. I grew up in NYC. Bowling over fishing, nachos over gumbo. He's from the West Coast. I'm from the East Coast of Africa. Nakupenda in Swahili, ahurum ginanya in Igbo. One thing that's very similar is we are global citizens, citizens of the world. African because Africa lives within us. Our narrative is similar. We are more alike than we are different. This is my African brother. Deep dive with me, Vanessa Mdee. So we're discussing African influence on global culture. And I start each of my podcasts with a poem. But I wanted this particular poem to be a little bit different. I asked you questions that were based around the fact that you're African, but you're a global African in the sense that you are based and live and work in the United States. And as much as you have a lot of African influence, you're very much aware of the global scene. So I'd like to invite my guest today, Ugo Mosier. Yo, yo. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here, you know. Um, we're vibing out on this comfy couch. You know? I feel at home. So anything can be said today. Yeah, it's a great setting for you to feel at home. So please feel at home and feel free to discuss it freely and fully and feel like this is a place of complete security. Thank you for having me. Where does Mosier come from? Mosier comes from the Igbo heritage um, in Nigeria. It's a last name that um, was passed down from centuries. My great-grandfather had the last name and, you know, and now I have it. My dad and my grandfather and I actually are all Ugo Mosier, so I'm the third generation. Oh, wow. Mosier the third. That sounds very like a monarchy. <laughs> I like that. So the first time I met Ugo, I was, and this is something that, you know, a lot of people don't know. So I'm going to take you back to, Let's the, go back. to the year. Let's go all Let's the way take back. Them. I was an on-air personality on MTV and I was working on a unique show called MTV Base Meets. And so we were looking at meeting exceptional human beings from across the globe, be they in Africa, America, in Europe, in Asia, wherever. And basically, we'd sit down with this inspirational person and have a conversation with them. But within the conversational space, we would invite Africans in that region that were doing some cool things, right? So... The first episode had um, former two-time Nigerian president Obasanjo. The second episode had Russell Simmons, so we shot it in New York City. The third episode had Akon. We shot it right here in L.A. And the fourth episode had the lovely supermodel Alec Wick. And part of the panel who was discussing with us was my darling friend Ugo. Now, I had to do a lot of research on our our panelists or our, you know, people who are going to join me on this interview. I never heard of Ugo before, but I just, you know, the producer was like, oh my God, he's doing exceptional stuff in fashion. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, let's meet him. That's funny. And he walked in the door and I was like, of course. 
like top to bottom. First of all, you're a beautiful man. I'm happy to call you my friend. Okay. 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 The feeling and is mutual. And he promised me a baby, by the way. So we're just queen over that. here. <laughs> Yo, you know I'm serious. <laughs> oh snap! You know Shoot your shot, baby. <laughs> you know. Okay. Anyway, Ugo walked in the door. We had a beautiful session, you know. And from then on, Ugo went from strength to strength. Obviously, as a style icon. A fashion designer, as I know you do occasionally and a lot too now, more so often, as a stylist, as an influencer, and most recently now, um, a social entrepreneur and even an activist, right? Am I forgetting something? I mean, you, 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 nailed, you nailed it. I think you pretty much nailed it. I follow you on Instagram. The main ones. <laughs> yeah, it's been a journey, definitely. It's, it's been a real journey. And, I, and, you know, for me, it's been really nice to see you as part of the culture here, but very much part of the culture back at home. You're still very much the reference point to me every time I need something in the fashion industry and otherwise. And I'll call you occasionally and be like, oh, I'm frustrated. I don't have anything. You can help me find the right stuff. And always, you know, always there to help. And I know we're going to do more in the future. Definitely. But Based on this topic, I think that you're the right person to have this conversation with because when we talk about African culture, where we're at right now, and how much it is a desirable thing to be associated with Africa right now, it makes me almost cringe sometimes because we've been African all our lives. We've been part of the culture. Now it's and trendy. Exactly. It's trendy now. Trendy. And that's annoying. I hate that. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I have this conversation with so many people and I feel like now just to just to set it up set our first part of this conversation up i remember when reggaeton started to seep into the mainstream market reggaeton was ay yeah 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 like everything you were hearing on the radio everyone took a dive in the reggaeton beyonce everyone you know you name it and Shana Paul was the guy, like he was the guy. He was like the pioneer and then everything came into america and the world and now i'm feeling like it's afro I'm going to use the word Afro-pop because Afro-beats is specific to a particular region. We'll explain this a little later, too. But I want to hear your opinions, firstly, on the African influence in your market and what your opinions are. Definitely. You made very strong points, and I can agree with you on this, on Africa being a current trend all around entertainment from fashion to music to even uh television and movies mm. last year netflix um bought its first african film mm -hmm. lionheart with genevieve that you know so it's it's definitely a, a a rise in the demand for africa you know and you can you can thank black panther for a bit of that for right for starting the conversation but um what it is there's still a lack of authenticity um with what's being pushed out and what's coming out you know vogue is still going to Africa and, and, and paying photographers $100 for their huge campaigns. Valentino's still going to Lagos and hiring local photographers and paying them nothing for their campaigns. They pay Mario Testino a quarter million dollars for, you know, it's still happening today. And I think that as the pioneers of all things Africa, that's been doing it since day one, it's our duty now and our job to to run through the open doors because these doors weren't always open for us. You know, it was a lot harder for us to have these conversations and find people that are trying to talk about 
black power and African empowerment. And now that the ears are open for the conversation, it's our job to really push it because by the time we know it, we'll, you'll, you'll go to Tanzania and you'll, you'll find that the Chinese and the Indians and the Russians have built infrastructure there. That's what's happening right now all mm. over Africa. Mm. You know, like it's, it's an entertainment is becoming a trend, but in business, it's a bigger trend. Right. You know, it's an even bigger trend. The amount of companies from Google to Sony and Universal, the record labels that are all now trying to get that African wave and hop in the money. You know, um, for me, it's really important now more than ever to create more things to tell the story. Do you, can you identify a year or a time or a space or a moment in which you thought this is the time in, that you noticed the change? Because you mentioned that before you would walk into these interviews or these spaces and speak Africa and share that narrative and people were not like super receptive. Right. Can you point, pinpoint, even if it's a personal moment for you? One of the, one of the pivotal moments when I realized that there was a there was an impact or a mo- or a shift in the conversation was two or three years ago when I was um, working with Dolce and Gabbana in Milan and each season I, I helped them um, curate their list of influencers and people to bring to their shows. I've done this for Balmain and Givenchy and Dior for years, and for the first time, Dolce was like, "Hey, do you have any?" African artists Get that we can have walking the show. I was like, wow, really? African artists? And at the time, I was working with WizKids. So I introduced him to the conversation right away. And they were like, let's do it. Like, they were down. Wow. And for me, it was the first time I've lived in Paris and worked in Paris, worked in Milan, worked in London. And I've never, like, had anybody request an African artist for anything. So that was what I knew was that there was a, there was a conversation change. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what is your what is your first reaction now for the Wiz Kids and the Vanessas and for the pioneers of the African movement? Like how do you feel like we can protect what it is that we're we've been working so hard to build? Like what do we do? The the way for us to protect what we have is honestly to manage it and guard it properly. You know, we have to understand the leverage that we have now in the world, knowing that we are the gatekeepers of the authenticity of the culture. Right. Like, we need to continuously stand strong and push that, you know, be able to shed light on our countries, our regions, our continent on a way other people can't, you know. Yeah. Film movies there, film documentaries there, show things that people haven't seen before. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's really about owning the content that's right. coming out of Africa. You know, as the Africans, you know, we'll obviously travel the world and work the world. But when it comes to the African content and story and narrative, we have to prove that, you know, not only do we know the story, but we're pushing the stories. Right. Because that's what, that's, that's the highest form of control. Right. When you own the content and do the stories. Yeah. Like, that's what we're lacking the most as Africans is the is the documentation and storytelling mm. of our history. I think, I, I totally agree with you on that front, and that's a very valid point, but I also think that our biggest issue sometimes, and you said we need to protect it, I feel like we, I'll speak for myself, I'll speak for a lot of East Tanzanians, we we come from such a, a background of colonization, so anything that is presented to us by someone foreign, be they Asian, European, American. Is, glitters more. Yo, it glitters. 
it glitters. <laughs> so people will like wholeheartedly support um, a Rihanna record over a Vanessa record. And they'll say to me, no, but you're, you sing too much in English. I say, Rihanna sing English all the time. You buy the record, you know the lyrics. Right. You know what I mean? So th- there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, praising is this something that you experienced in West Africa, first of all, before I proceed to ask you this question? Because you might not even know what I'm talking about. hundred percent. Right. I feel like, yeah, they, they, they love Western validation. Right. They, they admire Western validation, Western credibility more than anything. For example, I was, in, I was in Lagos in December and, you know, no shame to anybody or anyone's career, but um, this huge bank had a big concert and they brought in Bobby Valentino as the mm. guest star. I'm like, okay, like of all people, just because he has a, a record like in the main, there was a mainstream years ago. That's great, but like they still value him more than like paying somebody else on the ground that can do a bring a better show, a better performer. I think they we still value a certain thing about the West. And they put they put it over ourselves. Right. You know, I feel like we have to be our own biggest supporters first. We have to be the ones to really empower ourselves first. You know. Yeah, and how do we teach that in our youth? You know, it's 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 it's. I feel like there's such a brainwash that has just swept over the continent, and there needs to be a lot more conversations about the problem. Definitely, and I feel like the only way to teach it is through example. You know, it's through, through showing them through the actions, you yeah. know, through exposure. When yeah. it comes to the youth, like our, our kids and our, our youth are incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. They're all like sponges. These are the same kids that are able to build like mechanics off of remote control, right. disassemble a cell phone and turn it into a walkie talkie. Like these kids are so smart. Boy, they who harness need, the wind. They just need to be be shown and be be brought around things that can allow them to spark that interest know that it's possible right you know that's why it's I'll, i try and do workshops in in lagos and in ghana i've done things in uganda where i've brought in um people from overseas and prof- professionals to go out and just like interact with the kids and just talk to them um let them know that it's possible mm. you know especially for me like i was born in such a small town outside of lagos like a small town where, you know, the average person is still there, you know, and for me to have made it all the way from there to California, here with you, <laughs> with the amazing Vanessa M. Day today, it's like, that's a blessing and it's possible. It's not impossible for you to think right. big and achieve big. Right, so no, I agree. It's about bringing it to them. Take me back to your first experiences in the United States when you first came in to California. I don't know, was this your first city? Yeah, it was California. So, yeah, take me back to, first of all, getting, like, take me through the, the process. Get me, take me through the journey. You got on a plane from Lagos, I'm guessing, and you're moving to the United States, and you're here for the first time. What are some things that were culturally shocking to you? You were like, what's going on? And what are the things that people came up to you and asked, and you were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Um, I, was, I, I moved to L.A. pretty young. So I was kind of I was around four years old. Right. So... The immediate culture shock, I can't, I, I don't remember too much right. of, but I know like, you know, the first first days of schools, like making my first friends and um, assimilating to the culture was definitely interesting. I don't know, for me, it wasn't, 
I was different from all the other students and I knew I was different, but something about it like gave me a sense of confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a choice to make at a very early age because I already knew I was like, yo, I'm, I'm coming to this whole new place. Like, I mean, I'm already, I'm either going to be an outsider, a weirdo or a freak, mm -hmm. or I'm going to own it own and it. not care and just do me. And I chose the latter, you know, at an early age, I feel like that's what really made me who I am today because I had a, a sense of identity from the start. You know, right. I knew I was African. I knew my parents were African and I knew I loved being African because my parents, again, kept me very grounded. You know, from the first year we moved here, we went back all the time for the holidays. Like, you know, my cousin, Ifanyi. Yeah. Like him and I grew it. up together. You right. know, I, I, we, I saw him every summer, every holiday. So I never, and, and the, the Africa that I saw and the Africa that people spoke about and showed on TV was so different. I never, I never connected with the feed the hungry commercials <laughs> right. or like, you know, all these, right. I never, I never tapped into that. So like, I, I never let it affect my confidence. I was a kid like, yo, that's not Africa. Mm. Like, this is Africa showing them pictures of my house in the village. Yeah, and exactly. Showing them, like, the pool that we were at. Like, showing them the lifestyle that we had. And, you know, from, like, eight years old, that was my conversations. I was having my friends, you know, breaking these stigmas. And the biggest culture shock I had growing up was definitely moving from, from L.A. to Houston. So I moved to Houston when I was, like, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And... That was a culture shock because that was my first time being introduced to racism in America. Wow. You know, and that was a whole other thing for me. But we can talk about that later. Okay. Unless you want to bring it up now. You could talk about it right now. Okay, okay. L.A., you know, L.A. now is kind of similar to how it was back then. You know, very liberal, cultural, melting pot. So, like, although you were the African kid, there was, like, the Indian kid and the Filipino kid in your class, too. So, it's like, you know... It wasn't a place where you 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 would you feel ostracized, you know. Going going to Texas, um, my parents moved there because my dad my dad's business started doing really well, and the, there was better seaports there, so we moved there to be closer to that. And we went from living in Inglewood, California, to moving to like this suburban, um, predominantly white area of Texas, and. That was different for me, you know, being like not only the only African, but the only black kid in the class too mm. at that, the only minority in the class at that. So that was my first time hearing like racist comments and all that. But again, I don't know, maybe it was God, but I just remember myself as a kid just not ever letting um, people's I ideas or views on what they think of me affect who I know I am. Right. And, you know, all definitely there was hurtful times. There were times when they were like, oh, your nose is so big and things that sort as a kid, like that resonates. But it's like, um, yeah, it never, I didn't let it stick. I didn't let it stick. I thought it was, this was very interesting. Some of the worst times was even going into high school when I got my first car. Um, my dad got me a car at the time and I'll get pulled over every morning going to school by the cops. And the first thing they'll ask is, whose car is this? <laughs> whose car are you driving? Because they just couldn't believe that a young black kid can be driving a nice car right. in the neighborhood. They thought right. it was stolen. Like right. I, had to, I had to downsize my car because I was late to school every morning. Because I would always here. get pulled over all the time. So that, I, I was, that was probably the worst I can say was, you know, I would experience. Because there there's a lot more experiences when it comes to racism and stuff that, 
you know, that people have that I can't say I've, I've experienced. But, mm. you know, um, that, was, that was the biggest shock for me. And then after dealing with that, I knew that nothing anybody can do or say to me can affect my mind or, yeah. or my view. Right. You know, and I moved from, New, from Houston to New York and that was the start of my career. I remember. <laughs> I remember this point in your career. This is where we were. But at the same time, you know, now you're moving into the fashion world. You've already experienced, like, from this move from Houston, New York. You're now in the fashion realm. You're working, like, fully in, like, in there. Like, you're finding your way through the, the, the business. More recently, we're noticing um, a lot of mis misappropriation with brands. <laughs> um, there's been too much, too much use of cultural for us we respect and love our culture and it's important for us to you know certain s symbolism certain um patterns a certain usage of images and blah 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 these are things that we hold dear to our hearts it's our heritage but there's been a lot of misappropriation in the fashion industry in the world which you are very much familiar of what is what is this conversation amongst fashion people to be honest and just quite frank, um, it's entertaining to them, and always has been. You know, it's a, it's it's a it's a marketing tool. It's very lucrative for them. Like hmm. indigenous cultures and cultural cultural ethnicities has always been an inspiration of fashion since day one. You know, every brand has a collection that looks extremely African from Dior to Valentino to Jean-Paul Gaultier since mm. the 80s. Mm -hmm. they, they take these trips to like Kenya and visit Maasai groups and then recreate the prints. And it's just, um, I, I, I don't think that it's going to change from the fashion world until we start as a whole, start making it a problem and start identifying it because it's, they're, they're doing it every season. You know, this last season, Valentino had a whole like... South African beading technique done into their into their into their prints. It's funny. I actually um, Valentino invited me to a private screening of one of their collections that was African inspired, and they thought it'd be a good idea to bring me there because I'm African. Right. So that I'll come by and see our African inspired collection. I go there and they had me meet the lady who um, did the beadwork, and she was like a, an Italian an Italian master beater. And they were like, "Oh, we sent this woman." To, um, to Kenya, and she spent two months learning how to beat from the woman to go and make this collection. Isn't that amazing? I was like, wow. I was like, That's very shameful, actually. Like, so you <laughs> sent her to go and learn how to make their, their products and go back and resell it for a million times more. Like, what did the woman get from mm -hmm. this? Like, were they, how much were they paid for the training? And like, why can't they be involved in this process? Yeah. And so this is like, I've, I've done my part to have these conversations, but like, Ultimately, like, unless we all come together and stop, like, supporting that, it won't happen. Like, there was this, this outrageous um, yoga company, um, like, yoga, yoga sportswear. They went to Kenya and filmed their, their new campaign. I don't know if y'all saw that, but it, was, it went viral like crazy. I'll show you after this. Mm. But the, the campaign was, like... Um, it was a group of like eight white women doing yoga on this mountaintop, right? And they're doing the yoga and while they're stretching, there's like there's like eight indigenous looking um African women and men like fanning them, like doing their thing, like in their tribal clothing. And the women are just doing their yoga, like 
and they use these women as props for the video. It is if you see it, it just looks so bad. What? You know, but when that happened, like um it went viral in fashion and like, you know, people went crazy, like they shut the Instagram down and all these things. So it's like we have to identify and come together and shut these things down as it happens. It's more than a conversation, but it's like you have to report it because it's really bad, you know. I think as much as we have to report it, we can also just decide to support more African-owned businesses and at brands the at the same time. You know, it's a it's a, it's a two-step process, I think. 100%. The conversation is now, you know, we're starting to have this conversation. But at the same time, these are luxury brands that most of us can't even access. So at the end of the day, what are we doing to further our, you know, our products, our brands, our, our culture? That's it. this conversation so much in the music business um i'll go into a space maybe i'm recording in berlin germany and this has happened to me before someone will say to me so what is a typically african sounding drum pattern and i'm looking at them i'm like <laughs> i don't know what your question means actually at all you know what i mean because if i needed a typically like sounding drum pattern i would gladly work with the many drummers in the in my my cultural groups who are available to me at all times. <laughs> like, please don't ask me dumb questions. But I, at the same time, it's because the African conversation is so trendy. Like, I don't, I don't respect that. Like, so trendy. But here's the thing. We are in a very fickle industry where you could chew it up like bubblegum and sweetness is done and they'll spit it all out. What happens at that point? You know what I mean? Yep. What happens at that point? So for us as, you know, pioneers and people who are part of the culture, who are developing the culture still, because we're still in, when I speak of the music industry in Africa, we're still developing. We're at a point where we're just getting our royalties in play. Like we're just getting publishing now. We're just getting the, you know, just like, starting to stream. Ju- you like- know what I mean? <laughs> just starting to stream music, just starting to stream podcasts, just. Yeah. So, what is the correct conversation to be had? As much as we're paying attention to what the Western world is doing with our culture, I think we need to kind of shift it and come back to like developing our culture at the Ourselves. end of the day. You know what I mean? So it's nice that we're here and we're present, but we also need to pay attention to what's still being developed on our side of the world. And it's good to know how. 100%. You know, you can't just look at one side of the coin and think, oh, they're coming to Africa to know how. We've been coming here been here you know what i mean and we've been influenced by this culture and we've been a part of the conversation we've been i mean so it's a it's a cool it's a cool conversation to be had but it's also a cool conversation for us to take back home absolutely and be like let's stop focusing on what's not ours let's focus on what's ours so i think that's how we should change it yeah so we had a little baby in the room we love him (laughs) he's a little superstar he's okay now but as we proceed with our conversation um I just want to, you know, there's the misconception that all Africans come from the same spot and can see, speak the same languages mm-hmm. and refer to the same culture and we're all from the same type of, um, no, we're not. As much as we're from the continent of Africa, Ugo is from West Africa, Nigeria, and I'm from East Africa, Tanzania. So it's basically like literally flying from the east to the west coast. Literally. Literally. With even with with an even bigger separation because our different countries, different leaders, different social, uh, you know, 
classes and what we refer to as and you know what i mean so and different food different language different fashion different prints a lot of differences i noticed that a lot of what is trending in terms of like in the african music scene or rather in the global music scene and in the global fashion scene is a lot of influences from west africa in music and East Africa in fashion, but a little bit of both, actually. I think a lot of the prints come from West and East, but in terms of music, a lot of West African music is more more of an influence or more of a uh, trendy space for the in- global scene. I was watching an interesting conversation between a- a Whiskey fans um, on Twitter, and they were speaking on his um, involvement uh, at Coachella and you know I you know that's my brother I respect him a lot I'm a big fan of his music I don't know the reasons why he didn't perform on that stage and even though he was he was supposed to he was slotted for two weekends I don't know that's up to him and you know he definitely has his reasons but there's a larger conversation about how how can we in, be at the space and time and not have people step up to the plate and why did he not show up? And this conversation now had the Twitter fans were talking about so many different, there's so many different opinions. But one opinion that stuck out to me is that from the beginning, Whiskey just didn't want to submit to what the Western world or America wanted to give him in the sense that he was nominated for a BET award at one point in time. And he refused to show up because he felt as though it was disrespectful for the awards to be given out prior to the main show or not on the main stage. This year, the African award was given out on the main stage. I think at the BAT awards Mm -hmm. or was it before? It was on on main stage. Main stage. Mm -hmm. So strides are being made and certain people have to go through experiences that will kind of change how we are viewed and so on and so forth. What is, what is your opinion of all of that? And you know, wow, it's a, it's a, a little, that's it's a, a tricky very, one. very great perspective. I never thought about. I just think that everyone has to put their ego aside and step to the plate. You know, at the same time, like, you know, we're not always going to get everything exactly how we want it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we have an opportunity and go in and show out, like that's much bigger mm-hmm. than having to like let your ego make make you miss something. Mm-hmm. You know, not only with Whiskey, but there's a lot, a lot of opportunities that I feel like um, African artists uh, don't step up to the date that they can. You know, I was at Global Citizen mm-hmm. um, for that festival they had last year. In Southern Africa. So in South, South Africa, Africa, yeah. That was amazing. It was incredible. But I don't know, to be quite honest, one African artist did a really great job. Um, Casper killed it. Casper did a great job. I believe the bands did a, did, a, did a good job. But ultimately, like Beyonce and Usher, they came and brought like so much dynamic fire to the stage. performances. Right. They came and brought like super, they, they, they went all out. And it's like there's no reason that Beyonce can come all the way from LA or Usher come all the way from Atlanta and come to South Africa and like. And like put together a more unique performance and show, you know. So I have a different perspective of that, and I'm happy you brought it up. I was at the Global Citizens Festival as well, and I was there from when every like all of our African acts performed. The only act that I missed was Whiskey. I wasn't in time for his set, but mm. what I noticed was 
And I was sitting like in the booths at the top. So, you know, we are experiencing in full HD. What I noticed, what, what, I had no, what I noticed as an artist and as a performer who also could have been in that position, irrespective of how much I prepared myself, in Africa, on our soil, a concert that was entitled Global Citizen did not show up for the African artist. Why? I li- listened to the sound that my sister Tiwa had, and I listened to the sound that the artist right after her had, I don't remember who was performing after her, there was an immediate switch in sound. And this is contractually wow. what they call the, 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 the 70, 80, 100, and blah, blah. They do this for openers and headliners, and the sound changes. That's messed up. Now, let me just educate a few people who don't understand this. When you're performing at a concert where there's openers and there's like opening acts, and then there's like the, head, main, the, the headline act and so on and so forth, contractually, they switch up the sound to highlight one person more than the other. Now, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't have the contracts. I didn't read them. But I would have thought that because we're on African soil, everyone would have been... Yes, everyone would have been been availed the same opportunity. That's what I would have assumed too. Right. So it broke my heart a little bit to watch that in that moment because I saw the preparation that each and every single artist had on that stage and what they were trying to do and the unique opportunity that it was. So I refused that they didn't step up to the way. I think they did. However... Production-wise, I don't think they were given everything that they could have been given. That and that's sense. something that we need to change as well. Right. So it goes back to this conversation about what are we doing for ourselves? What are we doing to develop our industry? What are we doing for, to develop our artists? What are we doing when we are given the unique opportunity? I'm about to perform at the Essence Festival this year. Congratulations. Thank you. That's I'm, epic. It should be epic, and I'm excited. And I'm looking forward it. to it. But I hope that everything that I can do that's in my power avails me the opportunity to kill it. Everything else, I'm just letting you know I'm going to kill gonna, it. You're going to kill if, it. Thank you. If it's other factors that I can't control, I'm just saying that these are things that we should, this is, these are ways that we need to look at how we sign our contracts to and make sure we have the best of everything. And it goes out to the management as Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. And, you know, not, the majority of artists don't have a strong team like Miss Vanessa does. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very familiar and cool with her team and they're like, like, Army militant bulldogs, and that's it's amazing. <laughs> and that's what I feel like a lot of the artists are also missing is like yeah. people in their team that have one international experience, mm-hmm. have the business etiquette mm. and the communication skills. You know, it's um, but it's a process. You know, I have to at the end of the day really commend our talent and our artists because you know I've I've only been around this industry. Um, in Africa for about five years now, but and even in that five years, I have seen such huge growth on all on all around. We are becoming more aware. We are, you know, becoming more accountable and taking those risks, putting ourselves out there. I think that's where it really starts from. And yeah, I think there's growth for sure. I love. There's it. a lot of change. So Ugo, I want to thank you so much for your input, your time, your expertise, your excellence, for constantly pushing, pushing, pushing yourself to better the the opportunities that you have in your space. And otherwise, I know that it's not been easy. I know that we still have a lot to do, but I know that your voice is very, 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 very valued. And I think that in this time, it's important for us to have more conversations like these. And I can't wait to have you on my podcast again, baby. So I'm just saying, you know, follow him. Every- How can we keep up with you? Like? Yo, I can't wait to come back. What an awesome time. Good vibes. Yes. Yo, congrats on everything too. You're, Thank you. You're, everything you're doing inspires me as well. Like you've always 
been consistently putting on for the culture. <laughs> Like consistently, and it's beautiful to see you blossom and finally get the acknowledgement you deserve. Thank you. Um, yeah, Thank you can you. find me on the usual IG at U G O M O Z I E Ugo Mozier, and from there you can see the rest. Thank you, Ugo. You know what? I want to. I want to. I want to. As I leave, I want to impart some Swahili knowledge on you. Hey. I want to test your ability to pick up tongues. Okay. You'll probably be really good at this, actually. Let's go. But I want you to say, and this is an inspirational quote. Okay. Haba na haba hujaza kibaba. Haba na haba hujaza kibana. Kibaba. Kibaba. Yeah. Wait, say it again. I didn't say it the first time, the full time. Haba na haba hujaza kibaba. Haba na haba hujaza kibaba. Hujaza. Hujaza. Kibaba. Kibaba. Haba na haba hujaza kibaba. Haba na haba hujaza kibaba. And that means a kibaba is like a, it's like a, it's like a, big water well Kibaba. so like oh. a little bit of water just a little little like a little 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 and we're gonna get there so little baby steps it's about like you know I love small it. steps to success slow and steady wins the race absolutely <laughs> but it is I love it thank you so much thank you love it was a pleasure pleasure's mine from Jam Street Media